All right, jabronis, we're back. Welcome back. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day weekend, everybody. I hope everyone is uh, is able to or has been able to celebrate a little bit, take some time off, uh, remember uh, what we did all those, those years ago to become this great nation. Um, I put a little flag up in the back. I don't know if you can see some of it. Hopefully it stays up. I had to tape it up, so... Um, tape it up over the pirate flag i figured you didn't need to see the pirate flag today uh for independence day but uh yeah happy independence day i hope you guys are celebrating um and not letting the the twitter mob the social media uh pitchforkers try to guilt you into not celebrating because this country's terrible and you should feel terrible for for your independence and blah 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 i don't feel terrible uh, I felt terrible last year when I was in Afghanistan with all those guys fighting, wishing they can be back here on American soil. Um, and I know those guys feel the same way now out there fighting for us still uh, and doing God's work. So, um, you know, we have a lot of problems in this country. We're always trying to improve, as we should be. We always got to be mindful of our shortcomings as as individuals, as a nation, and everything we do and learn to to work to get those better and improve those but um that doesn't mean we can't celebrate our independence and be happy and proud of where we where we came from and where we live currently because i tell you one thing i'd much rather be here complaining about god knows what's on social media these days than any other country where i could have been you know a child laborer or anything like that, stoned to death for talking against my nation. So, happy Independence Day for everybody. All right, um, let's just uh, let's just move along and get right into it, shall we? So we'll step into the cage. Okay, let's run. All right. So the sponsor today for the cage fact, sponsored by. Your mom brand jeans. High-waisted dungarees that are comfortable, affordable, and give your ass that fat, dumpy look like a 1980s housewife that seems to be so trendy today. They're available for both men and women, so get into a pair of your mom's jeans today by visiting www.babygotback.com and use the promo code SHEEPLE to get 5% off your first order. Haven't tried those jeans yet. I'm not really a fan of having a dumpy looking ass, but hey, to each your own. You get 5% off if you use the promo code. So uh, there you go. All right, so the cage fact today. So I don't know if you guys were all tracking this, but Nick Cage was at one point married to Patricia Arquette, uh, part of the Arquette acting family and how you doing. Um, but when he first met her, the day he met her, he actually proposed to her on that day, and she was 18 years old at the time. He was only, you know, a couple years older, so it wasn't too, too creepy, but first day they met, he proposed to her, and he wasn't joking about it either. He meant it, he told her that, and then he even said, he, you know, make a list of things you want me to accomplish to where you will actually, you know, want to be with me, want to date me or whatever. 
So she gave him a list, and it's a bunch of ridiculous crap. I don't know exactly what's on it, but uh, apparently he actually started checking off things on the list, you know, getting the stuff that she asked for that she thought was impossible to get. Um, it got to the point where uh, she actually, you know, had to hide from him for a little bit because it was getting a little crazy. Shocker. Nick Cage doing something crazy. Uh, but eventually she started warming up to it and... As the story goes, you know, they dated, and then they got married, and within a few years, they got divorced, so uh, it's a, it was a true romance story right there, um, but yeah, that's your cage fact. Uh, pretty normal situation for Nick Cage. Falls in love immediately with a kid, a teenager, 18-year-old, has to marry her, does a whole bunch of ridiculous shit to try to get them to, to like him. They get scared. He convinces them not to be scared. They get married. They get divorced. True love right there in Nick Cage fashion. All right. Let's move on. Poll question for last week, this week, what have you. I thought it was a good question. Got some good responses, uh, good feedback. So the question was, to remind everybody, it was, what was the better end of the world giant asteroid slash comet action movie that came out in the summer of 1998. Now, I think the big thing here is the the most subjective part of this question was what do people think makes a good movie or, or a better movie or what have you. Um, and it could be, you know, storyline, plot, actors, action, whatever. There's a whole bunch of different things that people kind of consider when they think of what is a good movie, what makes a good movie. So um, I'll give you my thoughts in a second. We'll just kind of go into into each movie one by one to figure out, you know, what they all had to offer. So first, Deep Impact. Now, storyline, let's go with the storyline first, the plot, high believability. Um, everything was pretty well uh, thought out as far as a real... A, a potentially realistic plan and storyline of a situation that like this that would occur, especially with the knowledge and technology we had back in 1998. Um, all the stuff sort of made sense. The steps made sense. President Morgan Freeman was a good president in the movie. Good movie president. He had good leadership. He was calm and collected. He thought about, you know, second, third order effects, so it was pretty realistic. What did I say? Second, third order effects. That's what I meant. Um, he... He came up, you know, the, the, the country and the world, I guess, came up with a really good plan as far as r realistic and also as far as having backups go. So they had a plan A, which was to get the spacecraft onto the comet, drill a hole, throw a nuke in there. Uh, you might have heard this storyline before. Uh, they had a backup, though. The backup was... To launch a bunch of nuke missiles from Earth out to hit the comet. Which was, you know, it might not have worked, but it was still a backup. And then they had the Alamo plan. So, you know, like in Private Ryan, where the Alamo plan was to blow the bridge so the Nazis didn't get over and take the town. This was the last-ditch effort. The Alamo was the bunker that they had, where they were going to take a certain amount of qualified random individuals and and bunk bunk them, bunker them. Sorry, I can't even hear myself. So, 
from a from a plan standpoint, logistics standpoint, all that stuff made sense. Then you got Robert Duvall in there as the saving grace of the space portion of the movie. And he kept things calm and cool and collected. He he rallied his his men and women uh, to get the job done any way they could. He kept them calm. He kept them, you know, remembering the goal and not getting too out of control emotionally. Uh, plus, he's Robert Duvall. He's the Corleone consigliere. Tom Hagen, you can't beat it with a stick. And then you got Tay Leone. And look, Tay Leone is a mega babe. She is hotter than Liv Tyler. I don't care what you say. You can fight me on it. You'll probably be able to beat me up because I'm just a little guy. But Tay Leone is hot. And she was in her prime there too. So I don't care who you are. You got to respect that. Okay? Now, movie-wise, not very action-packed movie, I got to say. Um, it had very little character development whatsoever. It was there was a lot of different moving pieces going on that they tried to cram into two hours, so you couldn't really develop a lot of the characters. You just had to kind of go off of what you knew about them from previous movies, I guess, maybe. Um, there was no real drama or dramatic buildup to any situation throughout the entire movie. Everything just kind of happened. We found the comet. The guy crashed and couldn't give the common information to the federal government. And then all of a sudden, they tell everybody, oh, well, we already have a plan. Like, they, they talk through everything to explain it all out, but you didn't feel any of it. It didn't actually, like, happen. They just, oh, we already have a plan and a bunker built in case this one goes awry. And then, instead of showing, like, the failed missile launch, a failed backup. They just said, oh, yeah, the backup plan failed too, so we got the bunker plan now. And then it just cuts scene into everyone getting to the bunker and trying to, you know, trying to corral everybody to do that, which was kind of a, you know, kind of a circus act in itself. And then the whole Frodo storyline, whatever that kid's name is, Elijah Wood, I mean, you could have taken that entire storyline out of the movie and you would have had more room to create action and drama and, and develop characters so you kind of get a feeling of the characters and, and emotionally attach to them. Uh, it, it didn't. It, you could have done completely without that kid. The only good part about his storyline whatsoever was when they had the little assembly and the high school kid asked him if he was going to do more sex because they got the common name after him. That was it, and that could have been removed too. So I didn't get that part at all. I don't know why they wasted our time with that. It just created too much more crap in the movie that they had to try to fit in and make look good. So um, I don't I don't understand why they did that. Again, the whole movie was uh, logically sound and believable uh, considering the time, but it didn't really grab me. Uh, good overall, but just a low rewatchability on the movie. Um, that I rewatched it this past week. It was the only the second time I've ever watched it, and I, you know, there was no feeling. I was just I was just watching people on it on a television screen uh, for the whole time. So uh, not a lot to grab grab you there. So Armageddon. Let's go on to that one. So storyline wise, unbelievably low 
believability. I don't know if that even makes sense. Unbelievably low believability. It was the storyline was garbage. None of it made sense whatsoever. In the beginning, they sort of like explained some stuff away as to why they didn't see the giant Texas side asteroid in the beginning because they only had, you know, one million dollar budget, so it only tracked three percent of the space, which is a big a big space. So I get okay, got it. Thank you. And then they kind of explained a little bit on how no other plan would work besides drilling down into the asteroid and nuking it. because, um, you know, that the the evil British guy from the movie The Patriot gave the general the you know the information on why it didn't work and then Billy Bob Thornton, Bad Santa kind of came in and, and gave him the whole like firecracker on your hand, firecracker in your fist, how you doing to kind of explain that. So that kind of made sense. Otherwise, that was it. I mean, they only had one real plan. No, no, like assigned backup, no written backup, certainly no Alamo plan, no bunkers, no uh, way of getting people, you know, hidden. We have, we have missile silos all over the country already made, especially even, you know, even back at that time. And, not even a mention of like well, maybe we can fit some people in those like the smart people or whatever. Nothing, nothing like that. Um, the only sort of backup plan they had was uh, to nuke the surface of the asteroid when that general came in, and it was more of like an emotional backup plan. Where of course you know in every movie the military just wants to nuke something, so the general came in and we're gonna nuke him, and I don't have time for you to let these drillers do their job and whatever. So uh, that was you know a, a wretched plan. And I know, I know they only had a couple days or whatever to do this all, but, and, you know, let's talk about the timeline of events here. So when they first contacted and picked up John McClain, uh, the oil driller, they had 16 days left to c- finalize the plan, get everybody up there, you know, action the plan and save the world. 16 days, okay? So. They pick him up on day 16. They immediately take him over to, I guess, Houston. And before he even makes a decision, they, they, they're reading him in on to what's the, you know, what the situation is. And they give him a flight suit. Now, I, maybe it's just a military thing, and I'm a loser for thinking about that. But why were you giving him a flight suit immediately? Like, he didn't do anything. You just took him in to talk to him about the end of the world. And he's got a flight suit with his name patch on it already. So I didn't really get the flight suit decision. But then they had to wrangle up his crew, which were, you know, we all thought was still at the at the drill site, you know, on the rig. But apparently in the couple hours from when they grabbed McLean and brought him over and read him into what the situation was and to him deciding his decision, they had to wrangle up his crew. They all scattered across the country and they were able to wrangle them all up across the country, helicopters, convoys, everything, to go get them over back to Houston with McLean and his daughter, all that happened in, in one day, less than a day, all right? Then, if you go back to what they were asking him to do, the original plan wasn't terrible. It wasn't realistic, but it wasn't terrible. They at least talked about, hey, we got these astronauts we want you to teach them how to use your drilling equipment that we modified on the asteroid so that they can you know, drill and, and save the world. Okay, whatever. At least they were going to have astronauts up there with 
astronaut experience, right? So then John McClane, this oil driller, this brainless oil driller goes, no, I've been drilling for 30 years and you don't know how to drill compared to me. I'm going to do it and we're going to use my team to drill if you want it done right. Okay. Billy Bob Thornton says, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. How does that make sense? You don't, you don't need to do it perfectly. You just need to get an 800-foot hole down into the asteroid to drop a nuke inside it. Okay? You, if you can't teach astronauts, super geniuses, in 15 days how to use just a piece of equipment to dig down for 800 feet, then what are you doing? Then we don't have a chance in hell to begin with. So then they decide, they switch their plan, so they think now it's easier and quicker and more efficient to train idiot, brainless oil drillers how to astronaut in 15 days as opposed to teaching smart, intelligent, experienced astronauts how to drill in that same 15-day timeline. All they had to teach them was how to drill, but when you... You teach someone how to astronaut, you have to do a whole bunch of other stuff. And I even wrote it down. We're going to go through it. So now, if you think about the timeline, everybody comes in, and there's 15 days, okay? So in that 15-day time span, okay, the whole 15 days, this is what happened. They recruited everybody. They made the decision to do the drilling with the drillers, okay? They, they corralled them all up from all over the country. They brought them in. They gave them the, the 411. They all sat there dramatically and talked about it, made a decision. Then they came with their list of demands. Then they started training. They had to test them. They gave them an all, you know, a dossier's worth of psych testing, a ridiculous amount of, of physical medical testing. They threw them in an airplane and taught them how to take you know, G-forces all day, all of them. Then they train them in the water to simulate a, you know, space anti-gravity. Then they trained them on space drilling specifically on the asteroid, what the material and, and, the, and the ground was going to be like out there. Then they trained them on the little armadillo rover and how to drive that and use that to drill. They also had individual custom patches made for them in this time frame, which, by the way, anybody who actually ordered patches before for their military uniform knows it takes more than 15 days because they always screw it up. It's usually some mom-and-pop joint doing 8,200 patches at the same time, so it's going to take a while. So the fact that they got them all done in less than a day is miraculous, in my opinion. They should let that person, the patch wearer, patch maker, go up in space and save the world. So then they get the patches. They move these brand new state-of-the-art spaceships from Houston to Florida that were non-existent up until that day. Then they, then they came about. Move them to Florida. Move the crew to Florida. Got them to launch. Perfect weather. One shot and they launched immediately. Perfect weather. Perfect shot. Got them up to a dock to the space shuttle. Within minutes, they blew the space shuttle up. They, they got the gas that they needed, though. Just in time before they blew it up and added an extra crew member on a ship, but the the math didn't matter as far as you know the fuel count and and whatever. Then they orbited the moon, which is normally like a seven day process if if you remember uh, Apollo thirteen correctly. 
Then they land, overshoot their landing strip on the asteroid. One, one shuttle kind of disappears. You think it's gone. They crash. So then they start drilling. They get half a hole. Oh, it's not going to work. They blew a transmission. Now the military back on Earth wants to blow the nuke. So they, they activate the nuke on board. Now they have an internal fight. They got to deactivate it. Billy Bob deactivates the nuke for them. And then Colonel Sharp comes in and he reactivates it. And then they fight and go back and forth. And then there's a big dramatic thing. And with a couple seconds left, Colonel Sharp kind of, you know, him and his crony cut the, cut it, deactivate it again. Cool. They start drilling. Now they lose an armadillo. They lose Max, the fat guy from Down Periscope movie. Then they have the other armadillo with the accountant, Batman Affleck, coming in, jumping the Grand Canyon of the asteroid to come save the day just in time. This is all in the same time span, by the way. 15 days to do all this stuff, okay? They get on there. They drill. They get further down in the drilling. And then Steve Buscemi goes crazy. Starts shooting up everything and, and being a nut job. So they gotta, they gotta corral him and tie him down. So they gotta pause. Then they finally get down 800 feet. Oh, we did it. Okay, drop the nuke. Let's get out of here. Oh, the remote's broken. Of course the remote's fucking broken. Sorry, Terrence. Family show. So they got to do it manually. They draw straws. Batman draws the short straw. And then they go out there. They have the lovers thing, the, the father-son between McLean and, and Affleck. He pulls his, his oxygen and he says, you're going to take care of my daughter. Here, give my custom patch to Billy Bob. And I'm going to do, I'm going to save the day because I'm John McLean. He goes out there. Engine failure now. Engine failure. They can't figure it out. So they have the Russian dude, Slippery Pete from Seinfeld, go out there to fix the engine while McLean's trying to remote detonate, or excuse me, manually detonate. And then he falls into like a ravine, like some gas pocket hits and he falls. And they still, you know, they take off. He gets up out of the ravine. He goes and he says something, you know, dramatic, hits the button. And all that happens. It explodes and separates the asteroid all before it reaches zero barrier. And it saves the world, and they save the day. All of that happened in 15 days. I can't stress that enough. All that shit I just went through, that happened in a two-week span. Okay? That's ludicrous. All right? 15 days? Take a hike with that shit. There's no way. But... From a movie perspective, we're talking great action from start to finish. Great emotional draw from start to finish. Drama every step of the way. You were, you were feeling it when I was explaining all the crap that they were doing in that two-week span. You were feeling the emotional draw and the drama and the tension. They have amazing characters in there. Great character development, and which is like... Super difficult to do with all the heavy hitters in that movie. They found a way to get every big name, at least, you know, enough camera time and enough script, you know, enough talking points to make you feel something for each character. Whether you hated them, you thought they were funny, you liked them, whatever. Every character you had some sort of feeling towards. 
unlike Deep Impact, where I didn't feel for any character for, except for Taylor Leone and her hot pantsuits. So they had that going for him. And then you do get, you know, you get sad when John McClane's up there by himself and he, it's that bittersweet moment where he saves the world, but then he can't fulfill the promise to his daughter. And that's sad. But at the end of the day, you know, the Armageddon has the rewatchability that Deep Impact and a, not a lot of other movies have, honestly. You could dog on Armageddon's, you know, storyline and believability all you want. But when it comes to rewatchability, and that's, I think, something that I, I hate to say it, but Michael Bay's kind of got it dialed in in that regard. His cut, copy, paste kind of uh, style is what the people want. And it's highly rewatchable, highly. Um, you know, I've seen it a, a dozen times. In fact, I almost rewatched the whole thing again immediately after I watched it earlier this week. To you know, to go back and see you know what was going on in the movie. It was just like, oh, I want to go see it again. And that's a huge factor for me and what I believe to you know when I think of a good movie, it's all about rewatchability. All my favorite movies, I can you know I can watch them endlessly. Back it back to back to back to back without, you know, like Tom Amansky's summer baseball AAU team. Back to back to back championship. Back to back to back AAU national championship teams. I could do that and, and never feel like, oh, I'm over this movie. I once watched a movie every day for 183 straight days. It was a Tom Hardy movie. And I did it. No questions asked. If you have rewatchability, I'm a fan. And that's why... From a rewatchability movie standpoint, I'm going with Armageddon. From a from a, a you know a storyline believability logical standpoint, Deep Impact is probably better in that regard. But we're talking better movie, better draw, and I know there's going to be some haters out there. Um, you got to go with you got to go with Armageddon. So and you know and you guys you know felt the same way. You voted uh, 76% to 24% in favor of Armageddon. So. Uh, thank you for that. Um, so, next week's poll, man, I'm getting winded just running my flapping my gills about this. Next week's poll is going to be on. I put it on my phone. Who is the sleazier, biggest, bigger piece of shit movie character? Billy Zane's character from the Titanic? Or Newman's character in Jurassic Park? God, I forgot Newman's real name. This is a fat guy, Newman from Seinfeld, his character in Jurassic Park. So who's the who's the sleazier, bigger piece of shit movie character? Zane's from Titanic or Newman's from Jurassic Park? All right, and then you know I'll post it this week. You guys can vote on on IG. You can you can submit comments on Instagram as well as Facebook. I'll put it on Facebook. Um, but thank you guys for the input from this past poll. Um, it was super helpful. It was greatly entertaining so i appreciate it um and you know it made me it made me really think about uh those movies and those situations you know Uh, and after watching them you kind of think about like our current situation going on with covid and all this other crap and you know in the world and you kind of think about like i wonder how america in 2020 
would prepare for, you know, a no-shit, end-of-the-world situation. Uh, you know, like an asteroid plummeting towards us. There's almost no chance of getting out alive. We'll have our plan to go up and try to destroy it and save the world, but uh, really, it's not looking good. Um, we had the backup, the Alamo, the bunker plan. We got a list, so, you know, imagine what America in 2020, who would be on that bunker list, what they would pack, how they would prepare, you know. Um, and that kind of brings us to Jabroni Junction topic, which is that. How, how do we think... America in 2020 might prepare for surviving, you know, an end of days type of situation like that. Now, if I were president, I guess when I'm president, if this ever happens, you know, obviously we have the bunker situation or something similar where we can, we can hide some people and, and potentially save them for surviving and rebuilding. Uh, so, you got to think about who you're going to put in there, you know, and depending on the size of the bunker where let's go deep impact size of million folks. Okay. Um, I would probably pick, you know, like the million or so men, women, and children with the highest IQs, like the smartest people. And also maybe have like the best genes, the best athletic, athletic sports, you know, physical specimens, to kind of go along with the geniusness, the, you know, the people with, with the brains and the good SA. You know, we got to repopulate the earth here, uh, potentially, or at least America, start that over. So let's try to do it right this time, you know? We want to make, you know, the smartest, fittest, strongest alphas out there. You know, genius level intelligence and situational awareness, like an Einstein or like a, a Mile Angelou, a deep thinker like her. Or a Nick Cage, perhaps, if we're talking intellectual types. And we will kind of want to combine that with the athletic ability and physical dominance of, you know, like a Thor, like a Chris Hemsworth. Is it Chris or Liam Hemsworth? Like a Thor, whatever. Or like Hope Solo, that super athlete, that goalie for the women's national team. Or, you know, like a Nick Cage we're talking physical alpha dominance. You know, let's let's rebuild the free world with absolute units of both mind and body. We got let's do it right. Let's give ourselves a better chance of success in life in this world while also, you know, minimizing the problems that we currently face in our society today. Basically what I'm saying is no idiots allowed. You know, we'll restrict all the stupid, lazy, soft beta bitch boys from coming into the bunker. Because if you think about it, they're, they're the reason for most, if not all, of our problems in this country since we started as a country. For over the, our 200-year existence as a nation, we still can't seem to get out of her own way of some what otherwise you know you would think they're little situations little issues and we just continue to stumble over them because of all the stupid lazy soft idiots in this country still so why would we not want to get rid of them you know keep them out 
You think the new alpha America after the rebuild is going to be allowing itself to, whenever there's an emergency, they buy themselves out of the stupidest supply you can imagine? Toilet paper, as an example, a random example. You think the alpha elites are going to be lazily leaving shopping carts in the parking lots for little Stevie to go pick up? I don't think so. All right? You think they're going to be going and spending a, a penny of their hard-earned money at the Olive Garden? There's not even going to be an Olive Garden with the new Alpha America. There's no need for that trough-filling food around here anymore. We're eating whole food, natural, real shit here. We're the alpha elite, after all. You know, in the smart hots, we'll call them, you know, the smart and hot alphas, they're going to pack appropriately. They're going to save the, the, the good stuff we need, you know, good history books, architectural plans needed to rebuild shit, manuals for technological devices that we're going to need in the, you know, to rebuild again, non-perishable food. All that's anything, you know, that's just a quick list. There's way more stuff that you know that they're going to pack and and prepare for. Non-perishable food is super important, obviously, for the survival portion, but then being able to get other things like, you know, plant seeds and stuff to to survive after the, during the rebuild, they're going to plan for that as, as well. You know, actual necessary things needed to survive and rebuild effectively. Could you imagine if we put the idiots in there? Those dopes who wear the masks and gloves inside their cars? Can you imagine what they're packing? Milk and Wi-Fi routers. Probably. Oh, well, as long as I have the Wi-Fi, I can be able to get everything I need on Amazon Prime. And I can stay safe in the bunker and Amazon will deliver it to me. Jeff Bezos will deliver it to me in three days into the bunker. So I only need Wi-Fi and I'll be good to go. Doesn't work like that, Rodney. Sorry. Talking end of the world situation. No power, buddy. There's not going to be Wi-Fi around for you to order your toilet paper rolls and your Wonder Bread for the bunker, pal. So why don't you just do us all a favor and sit this one out on your recliner because there's not going to be any more room at the end here in Alpha America. Not going to be any politicians either. Definitely no politicians allowed. Those are just stupid, lazy, soft betas that happen to be in powerful positions. That's all they are. So we don't need any of that. Alpha of America does not need to deal with the corruption, pedophilia, and the utter stupidity that comes with all the politicians. We don't need any of that. Thank you very much. You can go hang out with the other stupids. You can go join the car maskers, the toilet paper, buyer outers, the social media tough guys, and the other brainless, dickless morons here in this country. Go form your own little safe zone just outside the bunker, you know, like a Chaz for the end of the world. 
You can go sit out there. You can go shit on the floor outside as a community and love each other. And you won't even know what hit you when the asteroid comes and blows you to smithereens. We'll be fine without you guys. Thanks. You know, I wonder what if they allowed, you know, a second bunker for like Italian-Americans? You know, if I was president, I'd probably allow that. I wonder what the Italian-American bunker would look like. You know, it's probably like a very different mindset on who's going in the bunker, what's going in there. You know, the important stuff is a little different for the alpha elites as opposed to the Italian-Americans, you know, if you can imagine that. Very unorthodox process. You know... The alphas, probably a younger generation, would go into the bunker. The young smarts and the young athlete and physical, you know, dominators. The Italians, though, they'd be bringing every single living nonna in the country still. Toss them in the bunker, no questions asked. You're probably like, why? Why would you bring these old people in? They can't do anything. They can't even be healthy right now, most of them. Because the grandmas, the nanas, store all the recipes, all the good food and survivable food and living is up in the brains of the old Italian grandmothers. You know, I wouldn't exactly put Crazy Carol in the old grandma category. Not just yet. I mean, she is a grandmother, but she's not really that old yet. Uh, but I do know that, you know, in my 30-plus years of lifetime, she's looked at a written recipe maybe four times ever, and that was just for new stuff that she was baking or cooking that uh, was unknown to her otherwise. Everything else is up here in her brain. Everything important up in her head. Gravy recipe, meatballs, sausage and peppers, Dessert cookies, cannolis, cream puffs, all the heavy hitters up here in her brain. For podcast people, I'm pointing my brain, my little pea brain. She's vital. People like her are vital to, to the survival of the Italian-American race. And despite, you know, her sudden fits of rage and her two-week, you know, uh, cancel culture that she does to us, She's definitely got a spot in the Italian bunker. She's got it. All the all the all the nonas, the grandmas, they got a spot. And then there's going to be like dedicated space for, you know, supplies too, not just the people. You know, they're going to have like a whole section of just where you put your jarred foods. All the stuff that people currently have, all the Italians currently have in jars. Tomatoes, olives, peppers, everything. All the pickled crap that they got, all the jarred stuff, it's going into the bunker. And then you got the jarring supplies so that when it's time to rebuild, you can rejar. You rebuild, you rejar. Because you got to think ahead. You got to think ahead about this stuff. So you can't just bring the jarred food, you got to bring the supplies. And the same with the wine. You got to forward think, though. 
All the barrels of wine will go in one section that's currently made out there in everybody's house. And then you got to bring the supplies, the, the winemaking accoutrement, to make sure that we can make wine after the asteroid hits and we survive. Because that's a, that's a necessity. Another necessity? The cured meats. Every, every piece of cured meat that's currently hanging up in an Italian-American basement, that's going in the bunker. Okay? It's going to be filled with all the dried salamis and gabagools hanging from the hallways of the bunker. Because you're going to need that after as well. So basically, if you think about it, it's just going to be a bunker filled of old grandmas, a crap ton of jars of food, barrels of wine, and just a bunch of hanging meats, hanging dried meats. <laughs> what a bunker. Maybe there'll be a couple of like younger Italians and guinea teas and aprons. Uh, you know, to keep the species going. Whatever. But what a circus act that will be. And it's going to be loud in there. It's going to be loud as hell in there. With all the beep of the boop going on, talking with your hands and screaming and yelling at each other, the Alpha Bunker is going to hear it from down the road. No doubt about it. You're going to hear the Italian Bunker going crazy in there. What's going on over there? It's all the screaming. I gotta think the the asteroid hit and it penetrated the Italian bunker because all the screaming and yelling. That's just us tough talking to each other about how no asteroid is gonna take us out. No stupid bastard asteroid is gonna fucking take the Italians out. We're too tough for that. Ho ho! And they'll high five and they'll fist bump. And they'll drink wine and celebrate how tough they are hiding in a bunker. With all their red pepper Italian horn necklaces. I mean, can you imagine thousands of Italian horns around to protect them? No asteroid stands a chance against Tony Rigatoni and the Thousand Nanas with their cornicellos around their neck. No siree. And for the record... I'm going to be in the Italian bunker for sure. Okay? You could bet your ass on that. Mainly because I offer nothing in the athletic alpha elite department. Plus, I'm a goddamn idiot. But, but also because the Italian bunker is going to be way more fun to be in. The alphas can go sit there and they can pontificate on the plan on how we survive and rebuild America to be great again. And that's what they're going to be doing. And they're going to be very good at it. The Italians are going to be eating and drinking and yelling. And grab assing each other and tough talking each other. Until the closest clear to come out. And they're going to come out. Going to be eating and drinking and grab assing each other and tough talking. And then we'll, you know, rebuild on our own. We'll start replanting our tomato plants. And get back to back to business, back to curing meats and making wine, jarring tomatoes. And speaking of tomatoes, that's about it. I gotta go water my tomato plants now. 
so I could jar him and survive to get, so I could get to the bunker. So thanks a lot for listening, guys. Uh, I really appreciate it. I hope you, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Again, I hope you have a good uh, Independence Day weekend um, and you remember, you know, how we got to that point and how we became uh, the great country we are today, despite our faults. Um, don't forget, you know, like, subscribe, follow YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Libretti Podcast Diary Show on all of them. Instagram is at LPD underscore show. Go email librettipodcastdiary at gmail.com. Uh, your feedback, that's that's what we live off of. That's what I that's what I need. Your feedback, your ideas for poll questions, Stugats of the Week, whatever. Uh, lay it on me. I'll try to find a way to, to build it into the show so that you know you guys can enjoy uh, the crap I'm spewing each week. Yeah. Oh, don't forget, real quick, poll question again next week. The who is the sleazier, bigger piece of shit movie character? Billy Zane from Titanic, Newman from Jurassic Park. That'll be up uh, sometime this week. Uh, so keep a lookout for that. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Um, hey, leave ratings too in the Apple Podcast. Leave some reviews. Uh, I read them. They're super great. They're fucking hilarious. Sorry, Terrence Family Show. Uh, but, you know, keep them coming. I love doing I love reading that stuff. I love reading how I could get better for you guys. So uh, do it. Um, and that's it. That's all I got. So thanks again, guys. And, uh, you know, stay strong. I was talking